So last week, we learned that you can learn a lot about giving God your best from serious athletes. Now, this week, we're going to discover that we can also learn a lot about a life of faith from successful farmers. So when back when I was a kid, I decided to put a garden in my backyard. It wasn't real big because I got tired of digging real quick, but I did have the traditional things. I decided to see what would happen if I planted some tomatoes, turnips, radishes, some uh, lettuce, all the things you would normally expect in a garden. I had a neighbor down the street who was kind of mentoring me in this, and she kept going on and on about how good fresh spinach tastes with bacon. Now, I wasn't real thrilled about the thought because the only spinach I'd ever had came out of a can and tasted like poo, but I trusted her because she was telling me other good things about gardening, so I put some spinach in. Lo and behold, it turned out really well. Everything in my garden grew, including the spinach. I was a little disappointed because the spinach was so small. I had never seen fresh spinach before. I didn't know that it was small. I thought it would be huge like uh, lettuce. And it turned out she was right. Spinach with bacon straight out of the garden does taste pretty good. I would learned a principle there as a young kid uh, that stayed with me the rest of my life. I'd uncovered a principle of the universe, the, the principle of planting and harvesting. The Bible talks about this in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. The beginning of all things, the Lord said, as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvesting, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. It's just a design principle that's been baked into the universe. In fact, the Bible will use this principle often to teach about spiritual things and take it out into that realm. For example, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always plant what you, you will always harvest what you plant. Now, I understand this is a farming analogy. It applies to everything, though. The underlying principle, whether you call it planting and harvesting or sowing and reaping would be the older terms or even just cause and effect. The principle is that actions have consistent outcomes. It's just the way that God has created the universe. And we can rely on this. Today, as we consider planting in faith, we want to talk about this idea of planting and harvesting. And this is something that you can use uh, in your life in many ways. In fact, if you ignore this principle, it's going to hurt your life. But you can use it to the positive, and you can actually use this to your advantage to bless your life. So we want to get into the laws of planting and harvesting. There's actually three of them. And uh, the first one I would point out to you, and this is going to seem really obvious, but uh, you will always harvest what you plant. There's a farm down the street from us, and right now there are rows and rows and rows of pumpkins out there. Now, why are there Obviously, it's because they planted pumpkin seeds. They didn't plant watermelon seeds and end up with pumpkins. This is just how things are. Again, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. At the beginning, God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that's what happened, and we still see it today. And so the principle is you will harvest exactly what you plant, and this will work for you or it'll work against you. The Bible points this out over and over, and it takes it into all arenas of life. For example, in Galatians, we just read that here a second ago. Let's go ahead and go back to that again. Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 7. Don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Holy Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. It's just a principle that we can count on. There's another verse in the Old Testament, Job chapter 4, verse 8 says, My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. 
Proverbs 22.8. Listen to this. Those who plant injustice will harvest disaster and the reign of terror will come to an end. Sounds like every episode of Narcos, right? How about this? Hosea, the prophet, chapter 10, verse 13. You have cultivated wickedness and harvested a thriving crop of sins. Then we go to Jesus over in Matthew chapter 7. He pointed out very clearly, if uh, you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So if you start with evil things and you plant that into your life and you cultivate it, don't be surprised if you get evil in return and as a result. But this does work to the positive as well. We can, again, see so many verses that say when you start with something good, you're going to end up with even more of that. For example, in Proverbs eleven eighteen, a wicked person earns deceptive wages, yes, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Or how about this? Back to the prophet Hosea, chapter 10, verse 12. Plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. I like what James said, chapter 3, verse 18. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You go back to uh, Proverbs, just a very simple principle. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It seems pretty important to me, and the Bible's underlying, underlining this and, and really putting it forward to us, that you ought to pay attention to this. If you really are going to get back what you start with, you better be very careful what you plant. It also would highlight to us that if you need something, you should start planting it now. If you know you're going to be hungry in the future, you should start planting food right now. So many things you can apply this to. A friend of mine raises cattle because he likes steak. His cattle like to eat, so he also plants seed corn to feed them. Now, if a friend's a Christian, I can tell you something he doesn't do. He, he doesn't go out into the middle of his field and say, Lord, I need some corn. If he ever did that, I'm pretty sure the Lord would just say to him, Steve, you're a smart guy. You know what to do. Quit praying and start planting. You know, this, this is within your power. You, you know what to do here. If you need corn for your cattle, you need to start planting it. Let's be real honest here. I think sometimes it's easy to just say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. And the Lord's looking at you going, you're not waiting on me. You, you, this is within your control. You should just start doing what you can do. If you need something, you need to start planting and quit saying you're waiting on God. See, there's so many things that you probably need in your life, and I do too. We just should take advantage of the way God's designed the universe. Actions lead to consistent results. If I need something, I should be planting in that area. Let me give you some real clear examples. Maybe you feel underappreciated. You feel like nobody respects what you do. Are you planting appreciation? Are you letting the people around you know how much they mean to you? Because what you plant, you will get back. If you feel like people don't really care about you and nobody reaches out to you, When's the last time you called someone? If you need a friend, you should be a friend. You've heard this before. Uh, just do those kinds of things and you will get it back in return. Maybe for you, you feel like you just lack energy. As kids, man, my, you always heard this. Like you, you want energy, you need to burn energy to have energy. You need to start moving, start exercising, and then you'll have more energy. You got to start with something, do what you can do, and you'll get it back. And it even applies, as the proverb said, to the area of your finances. If you're struggling financially, you should be planting seeds of generosity because this will come back to you. Whatever you need in your life, you need to plant more of that in faith. And that leads me to the second law of planting and harvesting. Not only will you get what you planted, you will also harvest more than you planted. You probably heard of kudzu. Uh, back in the 1800s, kudzu was marketed to people in the South as a great ornamental plant. It could shade your porch. It was a high-protein source for your cattle, and it was great for erosion control. The problem was nobody thought about the climate was coming from in Asia to the southern climate, 
And kudzu has just basically taken over. They call it the vine that ate the South. And it's caused millions, if not billions of dollars of damage. It's done irreversible harm to so many different places. It's because nobody really thought about the law of the harvest that says you will always harvest more than you started with. And I wonder if people thought about this more in other areas of life, they would maybe be more careful about what they plant in their life. You want to be real careful, for example, that you're not planting kudzu in your relationships. Because whatever you plant, you're going to get a whole lot more back. You know, anger begets anger. And if you're an angry person all the time, you're going to get that in return. Uh, if you, you want to think about in your habits, what you're planting, in your business, in your career, at school, uh, if you are uh, kind of a, a person who is always talking about other people and gossiping, you shouldn't be surprised if you reap dysfunction and disunity and discord. It really does come back to you. You know, you can't plant hate and get love. You can't be stingy and expect everything around you to be generous all the time. And just something to be really careful about are your words because our words are seeds. And our, our words have the power to plant ideas in people's minds that can grow. So you want to be very careful that the words you speak about other people are building them up and affirming them and are positive and truthful because these things can take on a life of their own. And we don't want to reap a disunity and discord and dysfunction. Uh, we want to be sure that we're planting seeds that bring people together in love and harmony and unity. So this works to the positive too. If you plant encouragement, you're going to get so much encouragement back. If you believe the best about people, if you invest your life in worthwhile things, if you even take a few moments every day to invest your time in prayer and God's word, if you make time for the most important people in your life, these things over time are going to swell and multiply in a good way. Uh, I can tell you something that I've seen in this church so many years now is that so many people work so hard to plant seeds to help this church move forward towards God's vision to reach people. And as a result, we've been able to meet so many new friends and, and accomplish God's purpose for us. I think about two friends of mine who have been here at Connection Christian almost since the beginning, Tom and Ginger Bowden, and they've done a great job of planting into this church and seeing the harvest. I'd love for you to hear their story. I came to Connection back when it was New Horizons, and it was only a couple of months old. So I've been with Connection for 20 years. I finally stayed around once when they were tearing down and then kind of got involved with that. And that's when I realized people were more genuine because it wasn't a different person tearing down than it was during church and greeting and what have you. Uh, or people, you know, because it was multiple. It wasn't one person. It was a very... Uh, trying job, tearing down and setting up. But that's where I got involved because that's that's what I like to do. I'm behind the scenes. I'll set up. I'll tear down, do the chairs, whatever, and then disappear into the back. I, I don't. I don't want to be in front of the camera. I think part of what makes connection that place for us is the leadership. Our leadership, from the ministers to the elders to Kelly, they're all committed. You know, on that same goal of reaching others for Christ and serving others. Everybody's genuine. I, I certainly don't know everyone in the church. It's gotten too big for me now. I'm not a social person per se, but the folks that I know, I know pretty well. And you know, the guys, again, you see here at church are the same guys when we go and we do the guys nights out at uh, Larry and Sherry's place. You know, we're not perfect in church and then imperfect outside of church. We're imperfect all the time. Tom and I are a second time round marriage and other people here are, and we can talk about the struggles of um, 
step parenting and you know there's not like a people look at us wrong like we're because we're divorced and remarried no one has it all together we're all in it together in the first small group we were in um we were talking about something that aggravates you and Kirsten, Ryan's wife, starts talking about how mad she gets in traffic. And that's something that Tom does. And he was like so surprised that a minister's wife would like admit to having temper and right. you know, and you know, just that I'm I'm just a person too, just like you. I'm not real good at picking up my Bible and reading it. So the messages that Brian brings I think really help me think. And it gives me something to think about as opposed to just reading. I think we have a cohesive focus on connecting people to God. I mean, I think you see it across the, um, the spectrum. The children's programming is focused there. Certainly, you know, having been a part for a time here of the music and the worship services, it's, you know, the focus is there to try to have a unified message, you know, so that the focus just stays right there on the sermon of the day, the thought of the day, the book we're going through. It's you know, very focused and cohesive. I love the ways that we reach out to things like, especially like the children who are doing the school lunches and we take the backpacks and sometimes we get the chance to give them Christmas gifts and the food pantry. I love those opportunities we have to reach out really you know, to the underserved among us and we continue that focus. It's not just on growing so that we're a big church. I mean, it's great that we are, but it's really on serving and serving in God's name so that people know it's not us, it's not because we're so great or we're so generous, it's because we serve a God who's so generous and we want them to know too. I'm just excited to see the church growing, but making sure we can sustain it. Because I'm not an evangelist, I'm not gonna go out and I'm not gonna bring a million people in but I'm happy to do whatever I can behind the scenes to make sure we can support that, right? So if it's, um, I'm not real good at manual labor anymore, too much weight, but if it's helping to get something done around the church or if it's financial, you know, trying to help do that kind of stuff. We've been doing more talking and learning about reaching out to communities that aren't gonna come to us easily. It excites me that the church is willing to, to step up to that and not, you know, be, you, you got to look like me and you got to be like me before you can come here and be with me. It's like more than anything, more than changing any of their behaviors, more than anything, they need to come to know God. And I'm, I'm excited that we're willing to reach out to those uncomfortable places. I love what Tom said there. I'm happy to do whatever I can behind the scenes to support the mission of the church. And we've seen that. I love the, the contribution they've made for so many years to this church family. And some of you are even here as a result of what they and others like them have done. I'm reminded of a great verse in, in 2 Corinthians I'd like you to see with me. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And it says this, starting in verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Makes sense. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And I love what this verse is saying, that 
number one, God wants us to be generous because he is generous and he's been generous with us that he will even enable you to be generous. He'll put the money in your pocket to be a generous person. You'll end up with more than you started with. This verse is explicitly talking about money and it's talking to a church where they're being challenged to do something generous for people who are in need and they were willing to do that and they saw that God took care of them and gave them more than they needed because they were able to do that. And the challenge here is to do it cheerfully with a good attitude. And the challenge is for us to do the same thing. I've heard some people say before, well, I'm just not going to give because I can't do it cheerfully, which I think is probably the wrong message to take out of this. It's, it, you should probably go ahead and still give and be generous and towards God and towards other people and just work at getting your attitude into the right place because you need God's blessing in this area of your life. I love what he goes on ahead and says down in verse 10. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Which leads me to the the third law of the harvest. Not only do you get back what you start with and not only do you harvest more than you planted, you are also going to plant, but then harvest later. You will harvest later than you plant. And this is where the faith element comes in. Farmers know this. They are literally putting food in the ground that they could have eaten with the hope that someday it's going to produce more for them. You're taking seed corn and you're taking a risk. You could put it in the ground. What happens if it doesn't grow? And you're up the creek. But farmers take this risk because they are, anticipate that they're taking advantage of the law that God has created and baked into the universe that you will harvest. It will be later So there's a moment of faith there where you depend on God to do what he does after you've done everything you can do, but you have to wait. There's a story that Jesus told to his closest followers. It's in Mark 4. It's a parable, a teaching story. And uh, I think it really will help us get a grasp on what God's wanting to do. And this is down in verse 26. Jesus said, the kingdom of God's like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crop on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes up, and then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally, the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. What Jesus is saying here is, there are some times, just being honest, that it's not always real obvious what God is doing. There's a time when you invest your whole self into something, and then you wait. It's in those moments that you have to trust God. You have to depend that he's doing something behind the scenes, under the skin, in someone else's life, and eventually you're going to get the harvest. But in the moment, you wait and you trust. What we're doing here in this Daring Faith campaign is exactly that. We together as a church are deciding to plant seeds and wait for what God will do, anticipating a harvest later. We're taking a daring step of faith as a church. There are some things that we're bold that we're trusting God to do. I get it. 2020 is an awful year. And maybe on paper, it doesn't make sense to do any kind of a campaign. But we don't believe that God needs the best of times to do his work. What if in the worst of times, we together as a church came together and trusted God like never before and said, hey, we're all in. We're trusting, we're planting because we know there needs to be a harvest and then we know there's going to be a harvest later. We're not always sure what God's doing right now, but we trust him and we know he's gonna work it out for good. And what we're doing here is we're saying, we're going to take things that we love and we're gonna sacrifice them before God for the people around us that we love more. We're going to plant in faith, trusting that we're going to harvest and people are going to come to Jesus as a result of what we're doing. 
So the specific goal that we have tagged onto our Daring Faith campaign, besides just helping ourselves grow in our faith and our trust in God, is to reach this next generation that is out there and reach them for Jesus. I want to talk about Generation Z. That's the generation that's coming up right now. They're in their early 20s all the way down to preschool. There's a whole lot to like about this generation. They're really, there's, first of all, there's an enormous part of our population, like 25% of our population is Gen Z. Uh, they are very uh, tech-savvy. They're all online. They're activists. They're very participatory. They are diverse. They're just a great group of uh, young people, and there's a lot to be optimistic about. There's some challenges with this group, though. They're probably the most biblically illiterate in American history. just means that we're starting from scratch with them, and that's fine. They uh, would be very likely to describe themselves as atheists or none of the above. They're not really involved in church right now. We're working on changing that. Somebody said it so well about Gen Z. They don't know what to believe or why to believe it. This is the target that we're reaching for. Some of you are in Gen Z. We're talking about your friends. We're talking about your classmates. Some of you, we're talking about your kids or your grandkids or your neighbors. Daring Faith is about putting Connection Christian Church in a place where we can reach out with increased credibility to have a place where we say, we're ready for you. We want to reach you. We want to share our faith in Jesus with you. We want you to find eternal life through Jesus Christ. We're planting seeds and we anticipate a harvest here. We have some really big dreams and ideas and goals about what we want to do over the next three years to improve our reach to this area. But it's really up to you about how much we do. Coming out of Daring Faith, we're asking ourselves to make a three-year commitment because we would love to do more than what we're doing right now. We've already taken some steps of faith as a church moving towards this goal. We've brought Ashley Davis onto our team as our children's director. She's phenomenal. If you haven't come to church yet and you haven't been here in person, you haven't got to meet her, you need to, especially if you have young people in this age group. She will do a wonderful job teaching your children and bringing them closer to the Lord and developing a team around her who will do that as well. You need to get here. You're missing out, I'm telling you. Uh, We're taking some big steps forward in increasing the size where our student ministry, our middle school and higher schoolers can meet and gather and learn and be discipled and grow with their sponsors. We're taking some big steps forward to improve our online ministry. We want to see so many things grow in that area because 100% of the people that we want to reach around us are online. COVID has really accelerated the whole world towards online. Fortunately for us, before COVID hit, we were already moving in that direction. I really appreciate what Pastor Jeff Hosey had done to get us ready for that. But there's a whole lot more that we can and should be doing in that way. Daring Faith is about getting ourselves positioned to reach out to this next generation, to their parents and their grandparents. We are working together as a church We anticipate God's going to do some great things. It's really up to us about what we do together. I think I told you this story several years ago. It's a powerful story. Several years ago, a first responder in San Jose, California, was on his way home from work on the interstate when a call came across the radio that there was a little toddler choking. He realized that the home was literally off the next exit, so he took that exit because he thought maybe he could get there and help, and he thought he might even beat the first responders there. And as he took the exit, there was construction and there was a bunch of equipment in the way. He yelled out to the construction workers really quick about what was going on. They hustled and they moved everything out of the way, moved some equipment and dirt. He was able to get to the house literally before anyone else, police or ambulance. The baby was choking on a button and he was able to dislodge that. The baby was saved. It all worked out really well. Next day, he's driving down the interstate, got to that same exit, saw the same construction crew, and he thought, I should just pull over and tell them what happened. And as he did, one of the men on the crew immediately started running toward his truck. And he started yelling, even as he was getting out of the truck, that was my baby you saved. Yesterday, that was my kid. 
That construction worker literally moved the equipment out of the way so his own child could be saved. What a powerful story. Connection, this is my story. My girls grew up in this church. You all had a hand in shaping their faith. You were the ones that loved them and mentored them. My girls were baptized here at Connection. So many of you planted into their lives, and they're the harvest. And it's been such a privilege to be with you all these years. But I got to tell you about, as we've done all these campaigns through the years to be where we are, this next campaign's not really for me. My girls have kind of aged out of this group that we're targeting. This is about your kids. This is about your grandkids. This is about your uh, friends that you go to school with. This is about the people that you work with and your neighbors. This is about reaching that next generation. Kirsten and I are all in on this because we believe in what Connection is doing. We believe that God wants to work in us and through us to reach even more people. And we're not going to be satisfied just to sit here and be comfortable. We're not going to just sit back and watch people who are just one accident, one heart attack, one diagnosis away from eternity without Jesus. There are so many people who could benefit from being part of this church family. There are so many people who don't yet know the blessing of being in God's family, of knowing that Jesus loves them and has forgiven their sins, but they could if we're willing to go all in. What if in 2020, in the worst of times, we just said with great faith, with daring faith, that we're gonna trust God. And it doesn't always make sense, but if he's put something on my heart, I'm gonna say yes to it. I'm gonna trust him that he's gonna do more than I could ever ask or imagine. I'm gonna let my imagination run free. I'm gonna pray bold prayers and I'm gonna say, I'm willing to plant. I'm willing to see what God brings as a harvest. I believe you can do this. I believe in you. I love you all and I love the passion that you have to the mission of connecting people to God and each other. Fully convinced that you're gonna do this. I want you to start thinking about what it would be like in the next few weeks to just go all in with daring faith to plant. Maybe it is in the area of finances. I'm asking all the Connection Christians in our church, no matter how old or young you are, to consider what you can do financially. I'm also considering you to invest your time and what that would look like, to invest your talents. There's so many good things that God could do if we will just trust him. And I want to, as I wrap this up, just speak to those of you who are you know, experiencing this and you have never given Jesus complete control of your life. You're not a Christian. You can do something about that today. There's nothing that stands between you and being in God's family, but your own willingness to drop your guard, to, to trust Jesus, to commit your life to him, to say, Jesus, you are now my Lord. You're my leader. I need your forgiveness and I'm asking for it. When you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth, you'll be saved. And if you're ready to take that step, we're ready to help you. Your next step is to be baptized, to be immersed in water, to proclaim your faith in Jesus. And we can help you do that in a way that's safe and is respectful and in a way that you can honor God. If that's your next step, I would love to talk with you. Would you reach out to us and say, hey, I'm ready to do this, help me. I wanna pray for you right now. Father, we come before you and we appreciate the way you've structured life and the universe that we can consistently do things that will lead to blessing and health, and that you have provided a way for us to know that when we plant, we'll eventually harvest. We're trusting you to do what you do. We're giving you the little that we have in our hands, and we're asking you to multiply it. We give you our lives. We ask you to make more from our lives than we ever could on our own. In fact, in our most honest moments, we just have to admit to you, God, that we've messed things up. And I believe firmly that as people are hearing my words, that you can work in their hearts to give them hope and optimism and grace and forgiveness. I pray, Father, for you to change people's lives, their marriages, their friendships, their mental health, their financial world. 
people who need you, Father, that you would just awaken in their heart a desire to turn to you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.